Welcome, welcome, welcome to another exciting episode of Interstice. We are so excited for this episode this month for February um, as a month of love. 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 love, love. <laughs> Valentine's Day. Um, and then also Black History Month. Woo woo. Brotherly love, sisterly love, that's what I call it. Especially when you are a person of color, you need to celebrate all other Mm -hmm. reasons to celebrate other people of color. Yeah. Doesn't have to stop with February, but it sure is a convenient time. It is. Yes, 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 yes. Um, So in terms of love and Black History Month, let us open with what is your love language? What is your, my love language the ones that I I speak are acts of service, and that's why I take on a lot of things because it's me giving you love. <laughs> I love to do things for others, and I also probably do a lot of physical um, affection and words of affirmation. Mm. What about what about y'all? Yeah, mine, and it, it's funny you say you know fifth or uh, acts of service is your go-to because typically that one makes me uncomfortable. But quality time is what I'm giving if. Uh, I'm super affectionate. I'm trying to show my appreciation, which probably makes other people uncomfortable. I'm asking to hang out with them all the time. I have a lot of introvert <laughs> friends, so it's like, hey, can I hang out? And they're like, no, I'm, I want to sit at home. And I'm like, oh, okay. And physical touch is very, very high up there too. But what about you, Tina? I, I show my love through spending quality time with people. And yeah, I think it does get... Uh, <laughs> if the other person doesn't speak that language, they're like, hold like on. Yeah, yeah, like, you're smothering me. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, I'm just trying to love you. Let me love you, please. <laughs> Let me love you. Um, so that's that's how I show my love. And then uh, uh, how I like to receive, I, I think it's also quality mm-hmm. time. Uh, but maybe that's that's like a biased opinion. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, quality time is a mutual thing that you need to do, do or else you're a stalker. I think. Uh, yeah, or else you're just alone, right? <laughs> you're just alone. Yeah, quality time is my weakest, and I feel terrible because I know so many wonderful people in my life show their love mm. and feel love in that way, but like sometimes I just want to sit in the closet and frown, y'all. You don't know how many times Ploy has flicked on me? A lot, probably, yeah. And Which she has to make up by get doing something for me, other. cooking for me. That, yeah, Ploy yeah. cooks for me a lot. Yeah. What's Which your, is, how do you feel about it? Oh, I love it because I have to physically be there. <laughs> <laughs> right? So that's quality time win, being win. spent. <laughs> so it works. <laughs> yes. This is why we're still friends. <laughs> this is why we're still friends. Tina is just just a wonderfully Got patient the goods person. on deck. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, plug for <laughs> my food, too. Okay, so uh, we've got a, a wonderful guest here today who has been multiple, uh, who has been mentioned multiple times on the show. We've got Lawrence Humphrey with us today. Some fun facts about Lawrence is that he's clocked over 88 days on Spotify last Ooh. year. A lot of time. That's a, yeah. that's a good chunk of time. Um, he's got a soft spot for personality tests. Prior mm-hmm. to this recording, we were talking a lot about <laughs> personality tests. Yeah. Oh. Enneagrams, Myers-Briggs. Oh, I love I it. I mean, even what's Can your love, love language, right? Love language. That I've definitely <laughs> took a test for that. I am a personality <laughs> test junkie. Like, I love, I mean, 
just love him. And then he also, uh, fun fact, detests a spe specific word. I'm not going to say the word, but mm -hmm. um, it is a it is defined by being another word for countryside <laughs> or uh, area outside of a town. If you spelled uh -huh. it, I'll get over it. I'll just recuse no, myself. I'll I take like the headphones off. I think it's like better if I don't say it and people can just guess. Okay, and that's fine. Um, I'm, I'm always going to welcome that. So. Okay. What is it like? Mm -mm. Five-letter word for... <laughs> that's yeah. five. Five-letter five letter word yeah. for countryside. Five-letter word for countryside, exactly. So, yeah. other than the fact that you hate this word, Lawrence, <laughs> so <laughs> tell us a little bit more about your your love. My, my love. Uh, well, um, it's funny you talked about, like, the difference between giving and receiving love. Uh, I had a relationship in college that introduced the whole idea of love languages to me and that I was getting all of my love languages fulfilled. Like I said, I'm quality time, physical touch person, but there were some conversations where she felt like she wasn't getting what she needed and it, it, it really confused me because I'm like, what do you mean? I'm ha like, I'm having such a good time. I thought we are having such a good time where I'm getting my needs filled was the unspoken rule of that. But she needed more words of affirmation for sure. Um, that's my last. So I was more slow to give that to her. Um, but that segued into, and I, I guess the slippery slope in that my relationship with everyone else and trying to understand where they come from so that I can give them the love that they need. But, you know, when it comes to me, you know, I love, uh, like I said, quality time, physical touch. But if I get in terms of giving, I'm probably most quick to give quality time or acts of service or maybe even words of affirmation, but um, I'm not as likely because of respecting boundaries and stuff like that to give physical touch to everyone. So what is everyone's relationship status? Oh, I'm solo dolo. Solo dolo. Which I know that sound like I, I can't say that without it sounding sad, but like <laughs> straight up, I'm loving it, man. Yeah, I think yeah. it's healthy to be happy and single. Like that's the primo position you want to be in if yep. you are like if you are in a place that you don't are in a relationship. You want to yeah. be happy because it's when when you are sad and single is it's when toxicity yeah. occurs. Yeah, right? and you know, especially in college too. Like back in the 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 old days, you know, back in a past lifetime, I was bouncing around between relationships a lot just because I, I thought I was comfortable being alone, but my actions kind of spoke otherwise. But I'm at the point now where I have so much excitement going on in my life and my career and with my friends. I feel very fulfilled in other components where, you know, I'm not at all upset about it and I actively enjoy being single, you know. I know that uh, that might be a, a weird thing to hear or to to people in a relationship, but I don't know. That's I, where I, am. I like hearing that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm uh, in a perpetual relationship as <laughs> most of everyone that knows me. I'm like, I, I've been in my uh, relationship for 13 years. We're high school sweethearts. Mm -hmm. He's the only boyfriend that I've ever had and he's the best human in the entire world. Uh, we are now so engaged. fucking cute. Poison yeah, uh, shut up. We're <laughs> <laughs> so I, I so I live on the opposite end of that spectrum where I'm just like I don't know. I like like to vicariously date through others. Mm -hmm. um, I I want to play like that like matchmaker matchmaker person <laughs> for other people because I feel like I have no experience, but I know I just know. I have you know an what love is. <laughs> I have an opening for <laughs> such to a be consultant. A yeah, for, for such a consultant. <laughs> play as matchmaker. Yeah. Make me uh, a match. 
<laughs> How about you, T? I am kind of in the middle of between y'all. Um, I have a special person whom I love very, very much. And I know it's love because I love him, but I also love myself almost mm. equally. And so, and because I, I feel like other times when I've been in relationships, that um, balance was imbalanced. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have a balance. Like I depleted myself to show love for this person. And thus like um, FKA Twigs has this amazing song mm. where she's like. Which one is it? I love. Um, is it off the new I album? I love another. Oh. And thus oh my I God, hate yes. myself. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I listeners. <laughs> I'm sorry. We actually have um, FK Twigs in the studio. She's just standing over here. I think that song is the preface song. Okay. But that those lyrics have never spoken to me. So um, when I first heard them, I was like, wow, this is really just telling of what I'm feeling right now because like, I love someone else so much that I start hating myself because I'm giving so yeah. much. Um, but at this point in time in my life, I feel there's just love all around mm -hmm. for him for me and it's just very healthy for me oh that's so cute too <laughs> man yeah one of the things that john and i did when we were like in um uh, college was a psych i was a psychology major i did as many labs and i mm -hmm. participated in as many studies as i could um and one of the questions that we were asked when when we did like a couples exercise was like uh, which of these represents you and it was a series of venn diagrams so it was representing how much of you and your partner overlap mm -hmm. right and i remember coming out of this and discussing with him i was like oh how how do you feel and he's like well i thought the ones where they overlapped a lot were quite beautiful and i was like well I actually select the one where we didn't overlap so much because we are, I think, culturally different. We're, we're mm -hmm. racially different, um, but we are ultimately united in that then we do have a lot of overlap, but not too much, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. that's really healthy. And I think that, you know, it underscores a, a pretty cool point and that, like, it's, it's all a matter of perspective, I guess. And, like, relationships, the perfect, you know, microcosm, the perfect example of two people that, might ostensibly be very different, but I mean, they're similar enough to make it work, or it's just a matter of perspective of which are you going to focus on? You're going to focus on everything outside of the center or everything inside of the mm -hmm. center. And I, I think that's super cute and healthy to make any relationship work. Totally. Just even honoring what the differences are, and that being how you find unity in commonalities. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think having both is very much needed. Um, I, I too am in, in a racially different uh, relationship and uh, what tends to happen in our conversations sometimes is like, oh, like this, this, is, this is how like my culture is like this, 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 this. It's mm -hmm. different in this, this, this way. And then he'll be like, well, our culture, my culture, this, 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 this. And then it's like, okay, they're different, but what are the commonalities? Like yeah. how can we come together with those different backgrounds and then find the connection? Because that's what makes us human, right? Yeah. That's what ties humanity together. 100%. And especially, and you know, it's probably no surprise that we live in polarized times, but I don't think that, 
and I mean, maybe it's really, really optimistic to say, but not much has changed, but the rhetoric and the perspective of focusing on what's different instead of what's the same. So I think that it's a, and I, I say this now, and it's easy for me to say this shit just sitting in the room, but I'm guilty of it too, of focusing on how I'm different than this person and why this person is uh, should be ashamed and X, Y, and Z. But it's an exercise and a reminder to myself and hopefully for everyone else to focus on what is common and what is uh, what overlaps. There's a time and place for that, I feel, too, because um, I feel that we are in a fight, or I feel I am in a fight to um, to show that the the differences, my differences are valid, yeah. that they're valuable, that they're worthy, and that um, my my being of other or like different outside the status yeah quo. outside the status quo is completely valid mm-hmm. but also there's a tension there yeah because it's like everyone wants to feel seen yeah and feel listened to and acknowledged for their nuances i mean at the at the same time despite all being pretty common we're all individuals with a unique upbringing and identity and uh time and place perspective beliefs and we want to feel like those are recognized and respected and valid. But um, obviously there are inherent differences, but we should uh, acknowledge those, but also look to the ways that we are similar to. Right. It, it is a- the boring answer with anything in life is that it's a balance. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yin-yang. I think so. a total proponent of yin-yang. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And pulling this out of romantic relationships, pulling this into platonic relationships, loving each other and feeling that that connection is so critical when we think about uh, the month we were in, as Tina mentioned earlier, we're in Black History Month and a part of uh, Black History Month is uh, hearing and acknowledging the voices and the history of black people in this country, but also understanding your role in being an ally to the black people in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to do a quick plug for this wonderful website that's called the uh, Guide to Allyship, which is a open source guide meant to provide resources for people to become a more effective ally. Uh, this was originally created by Amelie uh, Lamont, um, who just I think did an am- amazing job of uh, just putting something really simple out there, something that you can even contribute to um, with some explanation of what allyship is, the work of what allyship is, do's, do nots. And I love this section. If anyone, if you go to this website, read read this section called Boots and Sandals on how to handle mistakes of how, how to be a better ally for people. Because I think that Acknowledging that you want to be an ally is great, um, and but I think it's really important to understand that when you take that mantle, you take that responsibility. An ally isn't a badge to wear; it is an action to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not a noun; it's a verb. Mm-hmm. You know, and we talk about this. We've talked about this a couple times, but impact and action. You know, and ensuring that you know, or uh, rather, impact and in intent. And your intent could be in the right place, but if you don't have the impact to back it up, I mean you're just patting yourself on the back so um but just to plug that too uh, i don't uh and while you're plugging things i know that one of my favorite books that when i first bought it i was just reading it in a coffee shop one time and this one woman saw that i was reading between the world and me by Tanahasi coates is one of my favorite books and she says that every time she sees it in a used bookstore she buys it and gives it to someone else so i've since been doing the same thing I go to half-price books, and I always clear out between the world and me and give gift it to my friends. So 
fucking plug one of my favorite pieces of literature. And also, he's just such a a good writer, and he's so smart it makes me mad. So <laughs> it's like, how am I ever supposed to? How is anyone ever supposed to compete? It's not fair. Give so. us a taste of why uh, why this book is so delightful and worth sharing. Yeah. So um, it's it like zooms in. It, it goes back at the micro and macro scale. So he debunks a lot of the common uh like racism can't exist because uh or it, it it exists if you can manage to make it in life and escape the system of poverty that enables racism to happen i mean only poor people might be subject to racism or something like that um but this book and i mean one of the most uh profound narratives that i remember is that he had a, one of his best friends that went to an ivy league university and was upper class and had, by many people's standards, escaped the system of poverty and was still tracked down and uh, killed by a policeman, another unarmed victim of police violence. And uh, that narrative alone underscores a lot of things. I mean, we live, it's called systemic racism for a reason. We live in a society where this exists and it's not something you can just zoom in on and say that it's, it's not a thing. And I think it's worthy for me to also plug you, Lawrence, who are who Ooh. I I know accept my words <laughs> of affirmation. Um, I'll squirm, but you can do it. I'm learning. <laughs> who, I'm learning. Who, who is an amazing writer, and I think I've read almost I oh, I would like to say all of them, but maybe almost all of your articles. And I really like the one that you have most recently written called "Designing to Be Seen" about the work that you've done um, to kind of tackle a systemic problem at an organization to meet to to meet the 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 kind of um, issues that for people of color here at IBM and I'd love for you to just d discuss this work a little bit more. Can you explain? Yeah. So um, and it's funny because the origins of it were I mean if you're a person of color or any anything outside of the status quo you probably get pulled into initiatives all the time. It's like hey we're doing an event for designing for women in the workplace. Do we do you point and Tina want to be involved? And it's like yeah totally I love to further this cause and. Being one of the few black people in the office, it's like, oh, we're doing uh, a, a black thing. So, Lawrence, what's your opinion on that? So we get pulled in all the time. And there was this one initiative that was that pulled together a ton of people that I had to fight tooth and nail to get into for whatever reason. But I met a group of people there, and we started getting some really good traction, but everything just kept dying. Like, it would it – would, we would spin our wheels, have all these great ideas, and then a month or two from then, nothing – you would never see any results. And we decided, it was a group of eight of us, that we wouldn't let the next one die. How could we create a sustainable change such that it maximizes the, the impact and the time of volunteers until this became something that was staffed by full-time people? Because nothing will ever get done if it's, if it's entirely dependent on volunteers. So over, and I mean, I have the article up, and for the sake of time and just not repeating everything in the article, you can read it. Plugging myself feels uncomfortable, but <laughs> uh, designing to be seen on Medium. But our where we landed was we wanted to create an impact through just getting our sheer number of re like highly talented people of color into the design community in the same way that when Phil tried to get design as a respected community in IBM, his first goal was to just hire a fuck ton of designers, get them trained up, super talented, obviously, but you can't expect to move a system 
with just you know a dozen or so people you need you need numbers you need bodies and that in itself creates momentum for lasting change so in the same way we created relationships with boot camps uh coding and ux boot camps to create a pipeline for them to come into ibm and it's correlated with diversity and not only racial diversity but socioeconomic diversity age diversity stuff like that so that's a the very very long elevator pitch the radio pitch of it proud of you <laughs> proud of you for speaking this language Thank you. <laughs> that you i'm gonna take that a sip difficult. of this hot water but learning is part yeah. of it learning is the first step to understanding uh what how i can then help my people people in my community people black people um, queer people and all other rainbow mm -hmm. assortment of people of color that i can facilitate as, as well as people with different abilities right um so it's I, I love this article and i love the visibility because it gives me a chance to like open open a door that i would no not otherwise be mm -hmm. exposed to um and i think that's the first step right it's like it's like the what is what are the 12 steps for becoming an ally right sitting in a circle and acknowledging that you sometimes are the problem is mm -hmm. <laughs> the first one i often tell people that like the first rule of trying to help people out is just mentally preparing yourself to be wrong and uncomfortable and open yourself up for potential like for instances where you might have to take your foot out of your mouth you know mm -hmm. i i can speak a little more fluently on race and what it means to be a an ally there but i still feel like i have to take my foot out of my mouth when talking about gender or um lgbtq or different abilities uh and stuff like that so it's just b leaning into it and being okay with it and on the other party being forgiving and open to answering quote-unquote stupid questions for sure I'm, I, I think we're all learning here and we're all on different parts of the journey. It's like, how do we help others on their journey to wherever mm -hmm. they are, wherever you are? Um, it's going to hurt. It's going to feel triumphant. It's going to feel sad. It's yeah. going to, there's just so much because um, humans are complex and it's going to be <laughs> complex. Yeah, it's messy. It's and messy. I've um, had the privilege of doing a couple of diversity and inclusion workshops here in my career, um, which is the work I want to continue doing because facilitating and being a part of pushing this forward and being stubborn about it is like something that I really love to do. But mm -hmm. um, most recently I did one on allyship that I thought was really powerful because it was really defining like what is an ally and what, what are the most, it, it's like thinking through like what is a good ally, what is a bad ally, um, and uh, how can you kind of transform someone who is uh, who maybe intends well um, but doesn't know that they are doing harm mm -hmm. um, and that's like I think the critical piece is like I know so many more people that like really want to be that like I want to be your champion but yeah. then you do problematic behaviors um, so I think part of that is like um, understanding what is a healthy call out and reacting to that so we live in call out culture right we're <laughs> we're, we're young we live in yeah. call out culture um, and it's un it's really I think important to understand what is healthy and what is not. So does anyone have any uh, examples of a good versus a bad call out? Um, bad is probably easier to start with. I think that um, anytime I mean I get on Facebook I and I just can't help but to see all of the very very unproductive conversations there, and I think that 
you know, public at public shaming, and John Oliver did a whole thing on public shaming, and I think it's really good too, which kind of goes hand in hand. But I think that it's more self-destructive, and the the smaller the I don't want to say like the the less public the figure it actually is. So like when I see people getting up in arms on Facebook about something someone said, I know anytime I've had like a major disagreement with something that I I actually disagree with from a person that I personally know or with a person I personally know, that sentence was a jumble, but I DM them over doing it on a comment because mm-hmm. I think that anytime you give people the opportunity to save face helps your argument. And then the flip side of that is when people call out people in comments sections, you're wasting everyone's time and you're probably actually hurting the cause that you're trying to advance. Yeah, That's my two cents. I Humans respond to personal disagreement and ideological disagreement in the same way that they respond to like if you're chasing them with a hacksaw you know like they go on a fight or flight and they shut off their more rational brain to defend against it so you know i I read a lot about why humans are so weird but that's probably a bad example um i think that in the same vein of public shaming i think that it does work i think that in easy ones like harvey weinstein you know like he fucked up, mm-hmm. you know, and people that might be following in his footsteps thinking that what he's doing is okay now knows that or now know that you can't do something like what you're doing isn't right. And us as a society are all going to band together to tell you how wrong you are because you did something like that. So um, public shaming and just the public sense, I think that's a good and bad example. One of the things that uh, I find in folks that are more of the center center uh, part of allyship is is um, that they fall into a uh, thought experiment called the paradox of tolerance have you ever heard of this it sounds familiar yeah can you explain it sure yeah so this is a uh, theory posited by the philosopher uh, Karl Popper in his book an open society and its enemies and this basically theorizes that if a society is tolerant Mm -hmm. without limit in other words when you are tolerant of intolerance then intolerance is then seized and destroyed by the tolerance Mm -hmm. so being i and i see this a lot in the conversations that i have where it's like oh well no i i'm toler i'm tolerant of all people yeah nope 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 shouldn't be you need to be (laughs) intolerant of intolerance or else intolerance is going to crush and command your tolerance yep because in intolerance by you know very definition is it wants to squash other people to the bottom so uh, if your platform is dependent on someone else's for lack of enslavement or subservience or uh, a difference in class and hierarchy that's not a voice that should be tolerated, hands down. I, I have heard of that. I think I've seen it, an infographic that explained that really well. I think Ploy has heard me say, I'm on my zero tolerance campaign. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and thus, like, internally for myself, I was like, I cannot tolerate myself anymore to tolerate intolerance. Mm-hmm. And once I got there, I was like, yes. This mm. needs to be done. Actions need to be taken as 
me trying to be an ally for others. Tina, I need to, you to just have this recorded somewhere on air. Can you give me your uh, inclusivity quote right now? Live? Oh, okay, yes. I'd love to hear it, please. My <laughs> inclusivity quote is, if we do not intentionally include, we will unintentionally exclude. Is that you? Uh, you <laughs> I don't know if that's I'm, me. No, I'm rewriting history right I now. I think that's, it's me. I don't that's know what, awesome. but I know you said it, and I like rep- I I attribute it to you. So it can be like one of those like Tina Tina Zang Michael Scott kind of <laughs> meta. <laughs> I, I I'm will happily, history right now. I will happily uh, give attribution rights to that sentence um, because I I don't need to be credited for it. But I just love. I just love it so much. Thank you for bringing it up, Hoy. Um, we, we might need to internet this uh, yeah. because I I don't want to attribute it to myself because I, I think I read it somewhere. Yeah, but and we, I know, uh, Hoy, you brought up allyship and what that means, and I brought up intent and impact, but I think that that quote is so rich in what it means to be a good ally. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, like I mentioned before, I know a lot of very well-meaning people that, pat themselves on the back but don't do anything and i think being a good ally is using your and i mean a lot of people call it i know it's a loaded word now a lot of people call it privilege to make the space and to advocate for the people whose voices aren't as respected in the spaces that they're trying to advocate for themselves in right so you know and this in the way that and i say it all the time i could in many cases be a better advocate for gender equality than you two can because the status quo is set up, set up to squash your voice and diminish it and tri- trivialize what you have to say. So using my, in this case, male privilege to advocate for your uh, gender in- inequality or equality, rather. And amplify our voices, right? Yes. And that's what you, s- you mean by creating space. Yeah. So or say, that's how I interpret it. Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, if I say rule number one is being okay with being uncomfortable, rule number two is being a like knowing when to shut the fuck up and just like let someone else talk, you know. So saying instead of mansplaining something or taking what you have to say, I'm like, oh, Tina, you have a great quote to explain this. Can you explain this to the group? Like mm-hmm. just but using my uh, command or privilege to redirect it back to you yeah. and yeah. let you talk. One of the um, great experiences I had was one of my colleagues, Kevin Schultz, uh, we did a diversity and inclusion uh, workshop together, and um, I was the lead facilitator to this workshop. Mm. He was co-facilitating. He was supporting me. Um, and ironically, in this group of executive women, they would defer to him for instruction, and they would defer to him to, uh, I think, just igno- like create igno- – I remember one, one, w- one woman comes in, hugs Kevin, and uh, he says, oh, yeah, this will be led by ploy. And he, like, gives the attention to me. And, s- and she turns to him and goes, oh, I think – I bet you did such a great job training her. Right? Uh, and then I was – yeah, I know. That uh, is the appropriate response. And I, it's ironic because these were top-tier diversity and inclusion leaders. And they had implicit bias that oh made man. them uh, really just – and I, I, that that burned me, and I yeah. cried. I think after when I reflected upon this, because I never felt so disappointed yeah. to not felt be seen or not heard. But I would have to say, Kevin did an amazing job of always saying, "No, it's y- it's her. You should pay attention to her." He always put uh, the attention back on me and back on my Love work, em. and like that to me shows exactly. I'm like a- exactly what an ally should be. Right? Yeah, and I think that your story. I mean the more s- sad part of your s- and unfortunate part of your story is that 
and this is why, like, oh, well, I'm not racist because I have a black friend is such a, a stupid argument, is that even people within marginalized com- communities can harbor opinions and beliefs that keep them down. So in the same way that, you know, that woman, did, whether or not she meant to do it, she probably didn't mean to do it, was perpetuating as a male uh, hegemony and, mm-hmm. uh, and per- perpetuating a system that kept women at a lower echelon than men. The same thing happens with uh, black people and Mexican people and gay people, people, uh, people of different abilities. Sometimes there are worldviews that they have that are counter to the causes and communities that they belong to. So you, no one's, you know, and it, this is like probably any racism, sexism 101, no one's immune to believing in views that are counter to what the causes that they actually uh, consciously advocate for. I think of racism as a spectrum, and there's something that I found on the internet that I don't totally agree with, but it gets the sentiment across that there are more covert racist or overt racist uh, practices, covert racist practices, and then there's the spectrum of allyship as well. But Overt is all of the stuff you might think from Jim Crow practices, um, saying, dropping real uh, unsubtle words about people and derogatory comments. But then there's covert methods like what we just saw. Of, oh, I, you probably trained her really, really well, you know. But it's a spectrum, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I googled the, okay. the quote. So um, I would have to say that it's also mixed in terms of who who originally came up with it. It's attributed to many people, Neil uh, Lalonde, and then um, uh, this other woman. Uh, oh, gosh, I just had her name. Oh, yeah, no, I think this is the right person, Neil Lalonde. But I, either way, I, it's been since used. And I think um, give credit where credit is due, but yeah. also give power to what the f- phrase is but mm-hmm. you do not intentionally include you unintentionally exclude mm-hmm. what a p- I think that's like literally when you said this uh, so Tina I asked her, uh, Tina to attend my male allyship panel uh, last week and uh, she said this and then honestly that helped to shift the room and I think that phrase itself is so powerful because mm-hmm. it really it reframes and Tina's like amazing at framing my thoughts and things <laughs> in ways that are powerful but um, in, a, in a way that it makes it okay now I know what to do because I have I have centered on what the problem is yeah Yes, I, I think I read this um, on online uh, of a Harvard Business Review article titled Asian Americans are the least likely group in the U.S. to be promoted to management, written by Buck G. and Dennis Peck, um, detailing this bamboo ceiling, which another plug was uh, our last episode with Paula Le. Um, and I, I think that really hit me because uh, it's such a powerful phrase. The other reason why I think it's powerful is that it brings into your consciousness this awareness that may not be eh, like your day-to-day awareness because um, you may not you're n- you're not everybody. Mm-hmm. You're not everybody, and you can't be, and you shouldn't be. But how do you? think and and try to act for everybody yeah. that's some hard that's shit so hard. right that's hard but once you know <sighs> you cannot unknow mm-hmm. yeah and once you know um 
certain ways and and reframing and your thinking of how to include, you should never unsee that. Yeah, I know that. And it's funny, I saw the same, I didn't see the article, but when I was doing research for a talk that I gave around how to design more inclusive cultures, one of the, and I, was, I think I was running it by my boss at the time, you look at charts and it's like, oh, this is where uh, black people are. Black people get promoted at this rate, X, Y, and Z. And the first thing, like, of course, I'm a black man. So where my mind goes initially is always like, where are black people? Where am I represented in this? Adam, my boss, did the same thing, but with himself. He's like, oh, I'm right here. But you were, uh, and I think that it, it goes without saying, we're all inherently selfish people and that we think about ourselves first, of course. We only ever know our own experiences. Mm-hmm. So when you see charts like that, you see that like, oh, where am I? Right. And it's just about saying like, okay, because to go back to what you are saying before, I noticed in the same promotion ladder and at least in tech and design, Asian people get hired at the professional level well above uh, everyone else, but it drops precipitously once you start climbing. Like the managers and the executive status, it's such a, a ceiling just in the numbers. And you are so knowledgeable, Lawrence, and <laughs> I'm going to back you up with some numbers. Heck yeah. <laughs> so Asian Americans make up 12% of the professional workforce while only make, making up only 5.6% of the U.S. population. But they're the least likely to be promoted to um, upper management. Yep, only 11%. Insane. And I want to pull up while you're doing that, because I know that it's almost inverse for white people. It's like they're probably, I think they're roughly at par- or slightly above parity for professionals, but... It's like the, as if the window opens further the mm-hmm. higher they climb. Oh, I love that. I, I love the way that you said that. It's like the window opens further. And yeah. I, I wanted to design a D&D campaign about diversity <laughs> and inclusion. <laughs> and, like, the way that I wanted to do it was, like, okay. And you know how you always have, like, a bag of things that you start with? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm like, what if I gave you more and you less? And what if I never let you get some of the things this person got? Mm-hmm. Right? Or, like, every turn I just, like, you roll, I take away one of your die. Fuck yeah. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> yeah. Are you, like, oh, your, your character is Disadvantage. black. Disadvantage. That's, that's an automatic minus this. Your yeah. character is this, it's automatic minus this. It's, and then Roll your character is this, it's automatic plus this. Yeah. Or it's an automatic, uh, oh, you just pass this because I know you're good for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Roll with advantage. Roll yeah. with disadvantage. Okay. We should make that game. I've been thinking about that for like, what's the most powerful way to talk about privilege without talking about That's privilege? That's why I love D&D because it's an empathy-based role-playing game. Personal plug for my, uh, also my Medium article, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> and Design Thinking, because it, it is so effective at teaching empathy and making you make decisions based off of your limitations, off of your character. Mm-hmm. So anyway, if you want to co-design it, co-create, freaking uh, down. Wait, so Lawrence, do you play D&D? Freaking. Man, I want to get into D&D so bad, but I have friends that play, and even through college, I would ask to be in. Like, there would already be a campaign in motion, and they're like, oh, I'll get you in the next campaign, and it's never a next campaign. There's never, oh, Lawrence, okay. One shot, one shot. One shot, yeah. Oh, I don't do man. campaigns anymore. I do one shots because, like, oh, who's got the time? Um, yeah. But, Lawrence, next one shot I do, you're in. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I want to quickly 
tee up this. So uh, for trivia, we always let our guests pick our opening closing songs, typically. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Lawrence, you've picked this song. I'm just going to name it. It's Borderline by Solange. Um, and I think there's a bit of a story to it. Why would you mind sharing? Yeah. So the one thing, I mean, we're talking a lot about love, but I think that we'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention the idea of self-love and giving yourself the space and setting boundaries for yourself. And, you know, I think Tina talked about it a little bit in her relationship earlier. You can't pour out of an empty glass. I think about all the time you need to have space for you. I mean, you're yourself. You need to love you first. And this song for me is important in that it, it is borderline and ode to self care but this is off of you know Solange's album that came out around the time that I was going through a racial awakening and just so burdened by what it meant to be black in America in the wake of all these unarmed police shootings and you know this has been one of my go-to albums but I've had more than you know more than a couple times where I just listen to this song and I mean I guess break down and just like cry a lot just because I feel seen and it's just, it's the catharsis that I need. So in Black History Month, self-care, self-love, boundaries, this is what the song means to me. Okay. Here it is. Thank you so much for tuning in into Interstice. Thanks and for thank having you me. so much for Lawrence having finally. you. Finally. Finally <laughs> on our Interstice First of channel. many, question mark, question mark, question mark. First of many, for sure. Thank you. Put the brothers on a mission. Oh.